Excellent. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? We're actually going to be in verses 5 through 8 this morning. So that slide is from last week. But Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 8. And if you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you, turn to 1,115. Beautiful, beautiful passage before us this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I ask your blessing now upon your word. We believe it's your very word. And as your people, we need to be so receptive to your word. I pray that you would bless the teaching of your word and that your word would take root in our hearts. Not just something that we understand intellectually, but we apply it daily, regularly to our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So remember last week we learned that the Sermon on the Mount is the manifesto of King Jesus. In this sermon, King Jesus is telling us what his kingdom is like. And more specifically and more importantly... King Jesus is telling us what his people in his kingdom are like. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, you are one of Christ's kingdom people. And this sermon describes who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be like in his kingdom. This morning, I want us to look at four character traits that should mark every single Christian. Four characteristics, four character qualities that should mark every single Christian. And we find these as we continue in these Beatitudes. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, character trait number one, verse five, blessed are the meek. Christian, we are to be meek. In fact, meekness is to mark our lives as kingdom people. Now, this word for meek has different meanings to it. First, it can mean gentleness. In fact, some English translations will say, blessed are the gentle. So gentleness is to mark your life. We're to be gentle with people, not harsh, not intimidating, not overwhelming, not forcefully pushing our agenda upon others. Gentle. Gentle with everyone. Gentle with your spouse. Gentle with your children. Gentle with your co-workers. Gentle with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Gentle with non-believers. 
gentle with all those drivers that you share the road with? <laughs> gentle. A gentle, soft quality. Someone said, feelings are everywhere, all around you, every day. Be gentle. This word meek also speaks of a mild-mannered disposition, a pleasantness in how you present yourself, a warm friendliness to your face. One Bible scholar teaches that this word carries with the the idea of, of having a soothing caress. I like that. You're to have a soothing effect on people. A supportive, mannerful, soothing effect on people. Some people walk around in life looking always as if they're about to enter a cage UFC fight. You know? Who are they, Mr. Tough Guy, who are they going to beat up on today? Who are they going to intimidate? Not kingdom people. You you should never come across like that. Now, this mild-mannered disposition and this gentleness uh, comes forth from what is the bare meaning of this word for meekness, which is just simply humility. You're to be humble. Out of your humility comes your gentleness and your sweet, pleasant disposition. So as Christians, we are not to think highly of ourselves. We are not to think ourselves better than other people. In fact, remember the first two steps into the kingdom as we studied last week. If you want to get into the kingdom, first of all, you become poor of spirit. You you become spiritually bankrupt. You see how spiritually bankrupt you are. And then you mourn over it. And then in humility and surrender, you cry out to God and he saves you and touches your life. And that humility should continue. The fact that you get stronger and stronger. Now, meekness is not weakness. Please understand that. It's not cowardice or spinelessness or timidity. It doesn't suggest indecisiveness, wishy-washiness, a lack of confidence. No, you are able to speak your mind and you should speak your mind and there are times when you should be strong. But in meekness, all that is under control. In fact, the the ancient Greeks used to use this word meek to speak of power under control. You know, wind can be very powerful when it's a tornado or a hurricane or something like that. But when it's under control, it's that gentle breeze that's so refreshing Or a wild, untamed horse, so much power, but when it's tamed, it's under control. That's the idea. That's what meekness is. You have great power as a Christian in the Holy Spirit. You might have a powerful personality, a powerful physical strength and presence. You might have a powerful intellect, powerful leadership skills. But that's all under control. It's meek. In Numbers chapter 12, Moses, it says, was very 
meek more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Moses was one of the meekest men who's ever lived in all of history. Was he a weak leader? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was meek. Was he weak? So we're to be meek, gentle. And it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's emphatic. Blessed are the meek, for they and they alone shall inherit the earth. Now, there's an obvious future application to that. There are some meek leaders today on planet earth. But mostly the world is ruled by self-centered, cruel, intimidating, overbearing, aggressive, ambitious, self-sufficient Leaders, that's how it is in an evil world. But, you know, Jesus is going to come again one day, and he's going to set up his kingdom. And it's going to be a kingdom of meekness, and his meek people will rule. They will lead. And in a sense, you can have this inheritance of the earth today. I agree with one scholar. He said, the meek enjoy and receive the deepest satisfaction and contentment from God's created order today. If you know God in this life, you know that you've inherited everything. So we're to be meek. That's to mark our lives. Character trait number two, look at verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst... For righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, if you are a Christian, you should hunger and thirst for righteousness. In fact, your life should be marked by an intense, desperate craving for righteousness. Jesus uses two very strong physical cravings here, arguably the strongest physical cravings we have as human beings. Hunger. Man, when you're hungry, what do you want? You want food, you're desperate for it. You get hangry, right? Man, if you're thirsty, what are you singularly focused on? You want water. You want that thirst quenched. You should have that same desperate craving for righteousness. You know, what Jesus said here may have lost some of its impact to us living here today. It was a lot different when Jesus originally gave this beatitude. Today, when you get thirsty, you open the tap, right? You open a bottle of water or you... You get your water from a refrigerator and you can get ice, either cubed or crushed. Back then, you had to find a well. Water was stored. You get hungry today, pop open the refrigerator or go to any one of the hundreds of thousands of restaurants that you find on any street corner or go to any grocery store. Back then, when Jesus said that, these people knew hunger. They knew thirst. 
the working class oftentimes live day to day. So it's hard for us to understand this, but try to put your, your, your place in a position where you're starving to death, you're dying of thirst, and you desperately need food. You desperately need water. So you should desperately crave righteousness. Now, righteousness is living rightly. Gang, it is living according to the righteous standards of God. It is living a life wanting to please God above all else. It's living according to the righteous standards of the Lord in your lifestyle, in your business ethics, in your recreational activities, in your friendships, in your dating relationships, in your marriage. You crave to live righteously. I think it also speaks of this intense longing for righteousness to be elevated in our city and in our nation, in our country, in our world. It should absolutely break our hearts when we see all the evil, wicked, sinful things that are being elevated and promoted. It should break our heart. We should hunger for righteousness. And by the way, the tense in this verse, it's it's a continual thing. Blessed are those who continue to hunger and continue to thirst after righteousness. This is a craving, a daily. Man, if you're a Christian, something is extremely off in your life. If you have no care or concern for living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. If you call yourself a Christian. And there's no concern in your life for how you live your life. Something's off. If you willingly engage in sinful activity and unrighteous behavior without any concern, without a care in the world, making all the kinds of excuses like, this is who I am, I'm going to do what I want, that's it. Something's off. In fact, you might not know King Jesus. He might not be your savior. Because this is a characteristic that would mark his people. They want to live a righteous life. They long for it. They learn how to do so. They pursue it. And the blessing is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Again, emphatically, they and they alone shall be filled. In other words, they'll be satisfied. They'll be filled up with meaning. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're... You become spiritually healthy, spiritually fruitful, spiritually safe, prosperous. God will fill you up. You know, we have that, I've heard it before, you've heard it before. Um, You are what you eat, right? So if your diet consists of only donuts and cream puffs, and cookies and cakes, you're going to be a walking pastry, right? 
You're going to be unhealthy on the outside and you're going to be unhealthy on the inside. If your diet consists of good nutritional foods, you're going to be healthy. You're going to be full. You're going to be healthy on the outside and in the inside. Listen, if your spiritual diet, if, if you hunger and thirst for unrighteousness, sinful activities, sinful thoughts, sinful relationships, not only will you not be filled, but it'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your life. But if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled with spiritual goodness and strength. And again, this, this tense is, it's a continual thing. You'll continue to be filled. So as you continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will continue to be filled. The more one conforms to God's will, the more fulfilled and content one becomes. But that in turn spawns a greater discontent. Our hunger increases, intensifies in the very act of being satisfied. And so it goes on and on and on. Just keep getting filled. And by the way, the ultimate filling will be heaven. That will be the ultimate filling. So, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Character trait number three, look at verse seven. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Mercy. Mercy should mark your life as a Christian. You should be merciful. Now there's a couple different meanings to this word in the original Greek. It it speaks obviously of having compassion upon people. As Christians we are to have compassion on people who are in trouble on people who are hurting, on people who are in a miserable state. We are all to have a deep sensitivity and awareness of people all around us who are hurting. And we're to feel that compassion. We hear on the news that a poor family lost their house to a fire. We're filled with compassion. We see that homeless man on the street corner. You should feel compassion. The family next door who's going through a tragedy, a death in the family, a loss of the job, a divorce. You should have compassion on that family. We hear about people who are devastated by hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, wars. We should feel compassion for that. We hear about the people that are starving in different areas of the world. We should have compassion upon that. But understand, it's not just the feeling. This word mercy has been called the feeling of compassion in action. It's doing something about it. Someone said, mercy is to give help to the wretched, to relieve the miserable. So we're to help people. We're to act on our compassion. And actually reach out to people who are hurting. 
I love the story of, the, of the, the kid from a poor family. He went into the grocery store. He bought a dozen eggs. On his way out, he tripped. All the eggs smashed on the sidewalk. And this crowd, this sympathetic crowd, gathered around this poor kid. Oh, we're so sorry. And finally, one guy said, I'm sorry, 25 cents. Anybody else want to pitch in and pass the hat and contribute so that this little kid can actually get the eggs back? Sorry enough to give. Sympathetic enough to give. Compassion to reach out. We're told in James chapter 2, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is that profit? James 1, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Every kingdom person should be mercifully helping other people. Now, I look around this world and I see all of the needs and I get overwhelmed, don't you? There's so much brokenness. There's so much. Where do you start? We certainly can't help everybody. You alone can't feed every starving child in India. But there's someone you can help. God is always placing people in our paths that we can compassionately help. Do you have that awareness? Are you sensitive to it? Do you reach out? This word compassion can also speak of a forgiving spirit, you know, to have mercy on someone. So the idea is someone offends you, someone hurts you, someone does something really wrong against you. And as a Christian, you should be willing to have mercy on that person, to forgive that person. A forgiving Merciful spirit should mark every one of God's people. No matter what people have done to us. You remember that story when Peter comes to Jesus and says, Peter, how many times should, or Jesus, how many times should we forgive those who have offended us? And Peter says, seven times? And he probably thought that was really cool. Seven times? And Jesus said, I say to you not seven times, but how many times? Seven times seventy. Now, was he literally thinking 490 times? If you're keeping track and you get to offense number 491, you are a disturbed person. Jesus said we are to be forgiving people indefinitely. A constant forgiving attitude and mercy bestowed upon other people. My brother and sister in Christ, holding a grudge is not to be a part of your life. Holding hatred in your heart towards someone who's offended you. Wanting to be revengeful 
Now, that doesn't mean you continue to let people abuse you over and over or that you would allow somebody to continue to mistreat. You remove yourself from people like that. But you can still forgive. We are to forgive. That should mark our lifestyle as Christians. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, there's a reciprocal quality. If you're a merciful person, you're going to receive mercy. And I think in general, not always, but a lot of times, if you're known as that person who's always out helping other people in their time of need, when it's your time of need, people are going to help you. If you have a forgiving spirit, hopefully other people will forgive you. Now, that's not always the case. But I also believe that as, as, as members of God's kingdom, as you are being merciful, you will experience and know in more in-depth God's mercy upon you. Now, there are some people that come into the Sermon on the Mount and they try to make it a works-oriented gospel that you have to do certain things in order to be saved. And so they would say, if you don't have mercy on people, you'll, you'll not get saved. If you don't forgive people, then you won't be saved. Well, that would keep all of us out of the kingdom, don't you think? Now, this is not speaking of salvation. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're, you're acknowledging that you're not merciful. That you are sinful. Remember those first two steps. You admit that you're poor. You mourn over it. You cry out to God. And God in his mercy saves you. But that should make you merciful. Because of how much God has forgiven you. You should be willing to forgive other people. And I found in my life. That when I'm able to forgive other people, I come to a greater understanding of God's mercy upon me. And I enjoy it more. It's almost like that cycle in, in hungering and thirst for righteousness in your field. You've been treated merciful. You become merciful. You understand more of God's mercy. That, in fact, makes you more merciful. I do believe... That if we hold those grudges in our hearts, if we are those bitter people, your heavenly father will discipline you. He will discipline you. Because his people will not hold grudges. Because Jesus has not held a grudge against us. He saved us. He loves us, and so we should love others and forgive others and grow in mercy and experiencing his mercy. There's a future uh, fulfillment to this promise as well. When Jesus comes again, man, the wicked are going to be judged, but if you're a born-again Christian, you're going to be saved into his kingdom. We will have a greater appreciation of mercy and grace then. Than we do now. You're one of the. You're ones who's under the mercy of God. Be merciful. Should mark your life. And then characteristic number four. Verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
for they shall see God. Oh, my brother and sister in Christ, you are to have a pure heart. A purity in your heart should mark your life. Now remember, when, when, when the Bible speaks of heart, it's not speaking of that beating organ. It's speaking of who you are on the inside. You're to have a pure inner man, a pure inner woman. Now, the Greek word for pure is katharos. We get our English word catharsis. It's a cleansing. It's a cleanness. That's one meaning to it. So you're supposed to have a clean heart, a clean inward person. And the idea here is you're not supposed to be one of these people who is just good and religious on the outside. You know, where you walk around in life and pretend like you're a good Christian. And you do all the Christian stuff and you do all the religious activity. The idea is what Jesus is saying, you need to have a clean heart inside which matches your outward activity. The Pharisees, you remember in the days of Jesus, the most religious people on the face of the earth, the way they dressed, the way they spoke, all of the different religious activities that they engaged in. You would look at a Pharisee and go, wow, that's the most religious person I've ever seen. And yet, what did Jesus say to them? He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. All nice, white, and painted on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Your inside doesn't match your outside. My brother and sister in Christ were to have those clean hearts, the right motivation. Now, only Jesus can give you a clean heart when you place your faith and trust in him. And he becomes your savior. He washes away your sin. He, he cleanses your heart. And from that day forward, you live with clean motivations. This is a word that can also speak of something that's being mixed together or pure excuse me it's a word that means something being unmixed something that's pure without taint so William Barclay tells us that the Greek word was used to describe clear water metals without alloy grain that had been winnowed feelings that are unmixed and so the idea is In your heart, you're to have an unmixed, single-mindedness and devotion to God. In the deepest resources of you, you want God. You want to please him. You're single-minded in that. It means a heart that does not bring mixed motives and divided loyalties. To its relationship with God. It's a heart of singleness and devotion to God. Pure, unmixed devotion. In your heart, you love God. You want to serve him. You want to live before people with that same devotion, that purity. You have that? Do you have that in your life? Again, Christian, I would, I would caution you. If you walk around in life and you... You have all these different things that get in the way of your relationship with God. It's mixed. 
man, you need to, he needs to be first place. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They and they alone shall see God. Now, of course, there's a future application to that. One day you and I are going to see God. Can you imagine that day when you see him face to face? But there's also a present ownership of that. If you are singularly devoted to God and sincere seeking him, you're going to see God with the eyes of faith in every aspect of your life. You'll see him. You will see God in the pages of scripture as you study it. You will see God in all of the answers to your prayer. You will see God as you admire creation. You will see God in his providential working in the circumstances of your life. Your knowledge, your personal knowledge of him will grow. Oh, what a blessing. You want to see God move in every area of your life? Do you? Then give him every area of your life. Be singular, devoted to him in every area of your life. So these are the characteristics that should mark our lives. We're to be meek, gentle, mild-mannered, humble people. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness and live righteously. We're to be merciful, compassionate, and forgiving, pure in heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that list and I think, boy, I fall so fall short from that. Gang, that is supernatural living. This is supernatural living. You can't live this way in your own strength. And as one of God's people, you don't have to live this way in your own strength. You come spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing I can give. You fall on your face and you mourn. You give your life to Jesus Christ. He cleans your heart. He makes you righteous in the eyes of God. He transforms your life. And he gives you his spirit. And it is the power of God that makes you meek. And it's the power of God in your life that makes you want to live righteously. And it's the power of God in your life that makes you merciful. And it's the power of God that keeps you pure in heart. My brother, my sister in Christ, you must depend on God for this. Keep that in mind. It's a convicting portion of scripture if you're a Christian have you been walking around being real intimidating lately real forceful with people repent are you walking around in life like that UFC fighter repent Are you walking around in life with no concern for righteousness? 
Or maybe there is something in your life that needs to be removed. Repent. Are there people that you're actively helping? Compassionate. Is there someone that you're holding a grudge against? Repent. Have you not been singularly minded? Have you been playing the hypocrite? Are your motives mixed? Repent. Come back to your Lord. Make him first place. Perhaps you might be here this morning and you wonder, how can I get into this kingdom? That first step, faith in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord, as we close this service, this time in your word, how desperately we need your help. And thank you, Lord, for your grace that you promised to give us help. That by the power of your spirit, we can forgive even when it's hard. That we will reach out and be merciful even when it gets dirty and inconvenient. Oh, Lord, keep us humble. Keep us singularly focused. And then, Lord, I would like to pray for anyone here this morning who has not yet entered this beautiful kingdom of yours. Your kingdom is so different. So beautiful. So much blessing in it. Here and now forever. Have you entered the kingdom? Have you humbled yourself? Have you surrendered? Have you admitted to King Jesus, that you are a sinner and that you desperately need salvation. You need him to save you. I want you to have that opportunity to do that right now. The quietness of your heart. Cry out to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I cry out to you. I have nothing to offer. I could never be good enough to be a part of your kingdom. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I throw myself at your mercy. And thank you for dying on the cross for me and paying that price. I need you and I receive you. I want you to be my savior. Take ownership of my life. Come into my heart and fill me with your spirit. And help me to live in such a way that pleases you and leads others to you in Jesus' name. Amen.